0: Luke twenty four thirty six through 49. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you, any, have you, have, <clears throat> have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I have spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and the repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Love, love, love the sound of babies. Fantastic. I, uh such a joy and life and I, I'm sure it's stressful for you but listen, um, we love it we love it you hear us? We love it really, so please don't uh, don't stress out for, for, for us to see life in the church isn't just to see life in adults but to see life in little ones and uh, the joy that they bring uh, That we are all in this together. This is a church that's not just made up of adults, and but a church that's made up of little ones and adults. And uh, so, anyway, grateful, grateful to moms particularly. Um. What's that, kids? Adults, you should know what these are too. But kids, what are these? Legos or Duplos, right? They're Duplos. Um, and so. I play with these, not very often anymore, but I used to play with them all the time. And uh, what what have you built? What have you built with Legos, you guys? What kind of things? Like a tower, yeah? Helicopters. Helicopters, nice. Helicopters. Uh, I think probably people have also uh, built like very expensive Star Trek replicas or Star Wars replicas. and. You go to Chicago and go to the Lego store and you're like what how much money is that anyway so but the kids love it and um, and so these uh these these Legos build build something and and there's something if I were to build a tower Joe if I were to build a tower you guys I would want to not build a tower with just a foundation of one Duplo or Lego just one thing and then try to build it very tall and go really big because what would happen to it once I got up high enough fall over, wouldn't it? It would fall over. We need like a a big foundation, many Legos around, a big foundation so then you can kind of build the tower up so it withstands difficulty. And you know, you and I, whether you are, you know, a little one or a, you know, five-year-old or if you're a 95-year-old, we're kind of like buildings. Kids, your mom and dad are like buildings as well, and so are your grandma and grandpa's. And actually, if you look all around you, every single person in this room is kind of like a building. We're all being built. Some of us are growing bigger and taller, and others are growing wiser and and and, and just um, hopefully stronger in our minds. And some of us are struggling and wrestling. Actually, all of us are struggling and wrestling. There's, there's one thing that's true that in our lives we need foundations like a lego building needs to have a big broad thick foundation so our lives need those kind of foundations as well and what i mean by that is there are things that we think things that we believe that build our foundation big and solid so that our life is solid as it grows sometimes we forget and we get sad and we get angry and oftentimes that's because we have forgotten some of those things that are foundations in our life and so we come to this text today in this bible that God wrote for you kids and for us adults and we come to listen to him we come to hear him and we come to story that tells us of these men and women these people who have followed Jesus for three some years now and they're really struggling the foundations are being shaken and Jesus comes to help strengthen those foundations and he comes this morning to help strengthen our foundations as well so so as we go through this sermon Um, As you're taking notes, kids, or as you're drawing or as you're just kind of, you know, messing around in there and just thinking a little bit at a time, you think about how is it, what is it that Jesus is telling these people that help strengthen their foundations to help them grow and to be joyful and happy? So this story, this accounting of Theophilus has been taught um, for two and a half years now for us. We're in the second to last. We're in sermon number 104, which means we have been in it for two solid years today, as far as sermons go. 104 sermons. Next week will be our last sermon. Sad day for, for me. 105 is the sermon number. And, and all the way from the very beginning, there's been this sense of like the reality that Theophilus has been being taught These things so that he would have a solid foundation so that he would be sure and certain of certain things certain of what he's been taught to be able to live in certainty to interact with this ever-changing world because this world is ever-changing it always has changed all the time and it is changing today like it has changed in years past like for these guys that we're talking about in the text you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, as his disciples, you and I have been given a gift. Once again, in this eyewitness account, in this text today, it's a gift. It's Luke 24, 36 through 49. This is a gift to us, individually and to us as a church. The disciples, they're gathered in this room, this room that's closed, right? According to John, it doesn't say it here, but according to John's account, the room is closed. The doors are closed, and, and these guys are scared. And they're doubting and they're filled with fear they're uncertain in so many ways and I ask you this morning everybody in this room do you feel uncertain have you ever felt uncertain filled with doubt anxiety fear confusion and if you're honest with yourself you say yeah absolutely these, these disciples and you and I are one in the same. We are normal human people. We're, we're so often only certain of feeling uncertain. And that's because what we have as our foundation, um, as a certain foundation, is, is often not what it should be. And we kind of forget. We, we know it, but we kind of forget it, or we utterly forget it. And so this morning, I want to take a look at this text specifically. Allow God to reset, or reform, or fix the foundation of certainty in our lives so that we, like Paul says in Philippians 2, might then shine as lights in this world, holding fast to the word of life. Three points I want to speak about this morning. First is, you can be certain of the reality of Jesus. Out of all the things in this world, all the confusion, something you can be certain of, hands down, is you can be certain of the reality of Jesus. Secondly, you can be certain of the truth of God's word. And thirdly, you can be certain of the promise of the Father. That's our direction this morning. So first, you can be certain of the reality of Jesus. And friends, this is good news. We can be certain of the reality of Jesus. So speaking this to a church seems like the... uh, Well, like I know that. But listen, we forget... Every time we doubt, every time we struggle, we forget Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is real. Jesus is alive. And so let me ask you this morning, are you sure this morning? You're pressed in a moment. Are you sure about the reality of Jesus? You haven't seen him. Have you touched him? You haven't touched him. have you literally walked with him like these disciples we saw last week i mean spiritually speaking yes but but did you actually walk on the road to Emmaus where Jesus kind of shows up and tells you all about him and then he opens your eyes and it's like Jesus and then he disappears and he shows up in a different place have you ever experienced that no yeah and, and you begin to doubt and you wonder when things are pressing in on you you wonder is this all real we know we've asked the question is this gospel thing like like real is jesus real and and, and this world doesn't let us off the hook uh, we know that we're called to join jesus in his mission to rescue the lost and redeem uh, um, to be part of the uh, redemption of people uh, coming to god for him to dwell with forever but we succumb to fear don't we in telling jesus Speaking of Jesus to other people, testifying—we we we wrestle, we we succumb to trepidation, we shrink back from saying much to others because we just don't know what to say, we don't know how to interact, and some things are very confusing. But one thing that's not confusing is Jesus is real. And I think sometimes that when we fear and doubt, there is hints of like, I just don't know if it's real. might say you're an introvert and it's hard to talk to people you might say it's not your gift you might say you just don't know enough to be able to respond to questions that might come up so you end up saying you know nothing or little and 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 I've been there often so so why why is this I think it's for many reasons but one thing in particular I want to consider in the text today and to try to establish a few things in verse 36 between the sentences the disciples are sitting or standing listening dumbfoundedly to these two disciples that we just spoke about last week as they've run back to jerusalem they show up in a room and they're talking to them about what they had seen and that thing that they had seen isn't a thing it's a person they realize that jesus actually is alive their eyes have been opened the woman the, the women had seen the empty tomb peter and john had seen the empty tomb mary magdalene had seen the empty tomb if you read horizontally in the other Gospels you know that they had not only seen the empty tomb, Mary Magdalene particularly, but you know she saw a gardener and and then Jesus opened her eyes and realized that wow the gardener's actually Jesus and, and she runs back so she's come back to this room as well. So they're all sitting in this closed room that we come to today, this closed room and they're like talking about it and you might imagine all the confusion. What did you see? What did you see? And then these guys come in. They come barging in the door and there's like we saw Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And on top of that, these disciples are probably, I mean, we know that they're fearing the Jews, according to John chapter 20. So they're fearing that what happened to Jesus is going to happen to them. So they're also just kind of hiding out. On top of that, though, you know, the last things they did against Jesus weren't good. They departed him. They, they left him. They they ran away they denied him 3 times but now he's alive which sounds great but how angry is he going to be so here we go with without any warning amid all the questions uncertainties doubts and fears in this room closed room jesus pops in for a visit and literally pops in for a visit. He he the doors are closed and he shows up. Just as surely as he disappeared in a moment, he shows up in this closed room and he declares immediately peace to you. Now what words of grace are that? They certainly deserved a smackdown. But Jesus says peace to you. Their response um, you might expect verse 37 tells us that they were freaked out and, and thought they were seeing a ghost, and yep, they've seen an empty tomb. They, a couple of them, had walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. One of the women actually talked with him, saw he was still alive. But still, all of that just was happening, and it's a lot to take in. So they're processing things, and then again to boot, Jesus just shows up in the room, which people don't do. And so, what would that have been like for them? Well, we know what it was like for them. Um, you know, their the gut reaction was to scream, What the world is that? And you know, you and I would have done the same thing. What? The? But Jesus came not to confront. Jesus came not to correct. Jesus came not to freak anyone out. Rather, he came to bring assurance to them, certainty, to shore up the foundations of their life. A uh, certainty of what? well, certainty that he was truly alive. He is the real deal. He is not a ghost, not a figment of the imagination. In real time, in real space, real history, just as real as you and I this morning looking at each other right now, Jesus in the same body, though the resurrected body, same voice, once dead, now alive, right before these many eyewitnesses, not one guy with a dream in a cave, In the Middle East somewhere that has a dream and then forms a religion that totally goes against Christianity or 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 one guy in upstate New York who decides to start a something else because he saw Jesus in upstate New York a number of years ago and and so it's not that in this moment there's at least 15 people in the room probably more in fact Paul says that Jesus would end up revealing himself first Corinthians 15 to over 500 people This is not just a one-off show. This is not just one guy having a a dream with whoever or having an interaction with something. This is Jesus, the guy that they know, standing right before them and spending then 40 days with them before these next verses we'll get to next week. So he does not come to correct. He doesn't come to confront. Rather, he says, brothers, no need to fear. I mean, first of all, peace be... Unto you. And then no need to fear, no need to doubt any longer. Here I am. And he moves toward them. When someone's done something against you, you move towards them or move away. Jesus moves towards them. Precisely what he's doing this morning. As we think about this, as we sing, as we pray over people. Jesus moves towards us, and he says, "Look at my hands. Check out my feet. It's me, guys. It's me, ladies. It's me. Touch me. I'm not a ghost. I've got skin. I've got muscles. I've got bones. And and when it's, they could still hardly believe it for absolute the crazy joy of it all, you know those moments where you're just like, I can't believe this is true. You you do believe because you see it, but you say, I can't believe that's happening." There's this joy, joyful unbelief, and just to kind of prove it, in the normalcy of the moment, Jesus says in this like very, you know, crazy moment in history, he says, hey, got something to eat? And uh, I was telling the deacons and elders this yesterday, but just I had this picture of like the disciples just like, and going over to the fridge and getting a piece of broiled fish looking at him and handing it to him and Jesus sits down and eats and in so doing saying I'm alive. Ghosts don't eat. I'm the real deal. Jesus wanted them to be certain he was alive. Truly if they're going to be his witnesses and on mission with him in these days and weeks and months and years to come they need to know without a shadow of a doubt. I mean they need to know not just have a good idea that's probably true they need to be assured that Jesus is alive so that they would uh, testify of him because they're not going to testify although some people would probably but these guys aren't going to testify about something they know to not be true and they're certainly not going to go to their death for it like they end up doing in the book of Acts or in the future after that they're not gonna they're not gonna go to death Or, like a mostly dead kind of ghoul-like apparition that just kind of sounds like Jesus. But they will give their lives and they will testify of King Jesus and they will go to their death for that which they know is true. And in this moment, Jesus is saying, I'm true. I'm the I'm really Jesus. I'm really alive. They saw him with their own eyes, and the foundation of their certainty grew. More Duplos got set up, and they were set to grow, and they were set to give their lives for him. They knew it. Now, friends, we have not seen, again, Jesus like them, have we? But listen, surely and really, as those brothers and sisters from 2,000 years ago, real men and women like you and I, and as certain as they were, not only they saw Jesus, but they touched him, and they would spend 40 days with him, and then expend their lives for him, this reason. This risen Jesus, as we come to see in the book of Acts, I encourage you to read the book of Acts, so much so that is so real, really, really happened in real history, real time, real place, we also can be certain through their eyewitness accounts that Jesus is alive. We're at the center of all apologetics, of all defense of the faith here. We, we might get challenged in many areas where we just aren't quite sure uh, of the answer. About, uh, uh, this, someone much smarter than us can just like argue us into the ground. And so we tend to just don't want to get into that. Don't want don't to don't be talked into the ground. Don't want to be made fun of. Don't want all, all of this. But listen. The reality of Jesus unquestionable. The real man Real life in the history of this world recorded in both religious history books and secular accounts. He really stated that he was God. He really stated that he would die and that he would rise again. He prophesied so, and he really did die in real history and really did rise again in real history and was seen by hundreds of people in real history whose lives were radically, radically changed in real history. The truth cannot be questioned. It can be disbelieved, but it cannot be questioned. People will say George Washington never existed. People will say that Neil Armstrong never went to the moon and it was just this hoax behind the Nassau screen somewhere. And people can believe whatever they want to believe, but this is not questioned. This is, this is the center of everything, this is, this is why This is why Luke has been saying to to Theophilus all the way along, you can be certain of this stuff. Jesus really said this stuff. Jesus really did this stuff. And Jesus really accomplished all these things. He is the real deal. And you can take it to the bank. And so the question is, do you know this? Are you certain of it? Because there's no reason to shrink back from a person or society that believes Jesus is a hoax. Jesus is alive, that is certain, and it's absolutely foundational. And when we know that Jesus is alive, I mean, joy and contentment and hope begin to rise up in us. But when, to whatever level, we're unsure and uncertain, joy and contentment and hope fade away. Each one of us have experienced that. But each one of us, Jesus is saying, can experience the other. He says that to the disciples in this room. He says that to us today. Be certain that I am real. Second thing you can be certain of. You can be certain of the truth of God's word, verses 44 through 48. This is foundational. If you are uncertain of the truth of God's word, the building of your life will one day falter. So just as he did with two disciples last week on the road to Emmaus, gentle Jesus does not confront their lack of belief or even their slowness to have understood all that he had taught them up till this point. Rather, verse 44 tells us what we already saw last week that Jesus tells them all that was written about him from the law of Moses through the prophets and the Psalms, and that all those things had to be fulfilled. It wasn't the first time again he had told them this, right? They 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 grew up knowing the scriptures. They knew the stories. They they knew the promises. They they were. These stories and promises were just kind of spiritual or cultural categories for them. Very much like many in this church, maybe. Kids, you grown up or starting to grow up in this church and you hear these stories and they're just kind of categories for you. They're just kind of things that you kind of think about and it's like, okay, well that's interesting. But listen, all of these stories that are being told on Sunday mornings, all these stories that your parents talk to you about during the week, these stories are true you can take them to the bank you can you can you can hold your whole life captive to that reality that god's word is true these stories are true now these disciples they had heard all the stories all the old testament stories they were as sure as you and i are of the stories in the bible they knew those things but then in verse 45 it says that jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures they needed jesus to open their minds, because they knew the stories. So you can somehow know the stories without really understanding the stories, unless Jesus opens your mind to them. And listen, for those of you out there that that like are believers, and you get these stories, and these stories mean something to you, that's not because you're smart. That's 100% because Jesus opened your mind to understand. That's Super, super grace. What does the world need but Jesus to open minds to understand? They must have someone tell them. After he'd done that, he tells them once again what he had said on numerous occasions along the road to Jerusalem, but at, at, at at those points along the road to Jerusalem, in the last number of chapters in Luke that we've been through, um, that this, this point had fallen on deaf ears, confused ears. Namely, that the Christ should suffer, 46, verse 46, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. He, he had literally just said that a few days ago. Literally had just told them that. They had zero idea what he was talking about. They were lost. But now, now they see. Not only were they given a mind to understand, they saw Jesus standing right before them, and they watched him eat, and it was all starting to make sense. It was like, he's the Messiah. You really are the Son of God. Oh my word. We just spent three years with the Son of God. It was just landing on them in this moment we just Jesus is the real deal this is actually what the word has said all the way along and we were blind to it that the word is actually trustworthy the word is actually true I can believe what it says these, these disciples were witnesses of it all, and they would be witnesses, those who testify of what they've seen. So, so certain of all we've considered so far today that the Apostle John, uh, the beloved disciple, one of the men in that room, in that moment, in our text today, was speaking uh, to, uh, he writes this way for um, a group of Christians who are uncertain and doubting about the person and work of Jesus just one generation later. That this this gospel of grace had gone from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And at that point, the uttermost parts of the earth was was at least on the way to the uttermost parts of the earth was Asia Minor. And so so John's writing to some Christians in the Asia Minor area or in, in Asia Minor's Turkey. So it's like that that whole kind of area. And this is what he says. Of all the things that he chooses to say, this is what he says. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, he says, That which was from the beginning. Listen to this guy who was not certain, but now very certain. He says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, means it came alive, It it was made manifest to us, we saw it, we've seen it, we testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. We testify to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. All the things to write, this is what he writes. He doesn't write about, well, this is why you can believe Noah is true. This is why you can believe that Joseph's story is accurate. This is why you can believe it. He goes right after the main central reality that Jesus is who he says he is, and the whole Bible points to it. And it's absolutely trustworthy. Do you believe the Bible is trustworthy? Bet your life on it. You can be certain of it. The, the scriptures, this book, all of you are holding a book. You've got it on your phones, you've got it on your iPads, you've got it on your computers. We have it on Dwell app, listening to it. We have it. We're so wealthy. But do we believe it? It is good news of great certainty that we've come to in God's word. Christianity is entirely unlike any other religion. It's not about morality at the core it's not about philosophy or self-fulfillment as much as people try to make it out to be it's about good news it's about the good news of great certainty the entirety of this book the bible points to the gospel points to jesus and the need for us to be made right with god and the way is jesus the way is jesus alone the gospel tells us that in christ we are forgiven not in anything else in christ we are forgiven in christ we are accepted forever and the gospel reminds us that god is at work to change us and to conform us to the image of jesus this is what the bible tells us the bible doesn't just tell us to do stuff the bible promises that jesus is going to do this he did this and he's going to do this he's conforming us the spirit's conforming us to the image of jesus romans 8 29, and that God will complete. Jesus will complete the work that he began in you. Philippians, right? Confident? Are you confident that he who began in you, began to work in you, will complete it on that final day? Do you believe that? In the middle of your downward trend? He is faithful. Think about the word... and and I think Rick is going to preach on this in January, in Psalm 19, at least part of this. Immerse yourself, immerse yourself in the Word of God because His Word is true, and it is pure, and it is sure, and it makes the simple wise, and it purifies the heart, it revives the soul, it keeps the young man's way pure, Psalm 119, it strengthens and it comforts and it challenges and it confronts and it equips, 2 Timothy 3, it's the word of God that will never return empty but will accomplish precisely all that it goes out for, for the word of God is, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You can be sure of this word. And in a world where so many things are coming at us, there is one thing to be certain. Well, two things so far. Jesus is the real deal. And secondly, this is true. Everything in this book is true. And so immerse yourself in it, Steve Bice. Live in the good of it. Testify of it. Same word, but we must be certain of it. And you don't need to shrink back from it, though the world around you says you're nuts to believe something so archaic. Listen, if this truly is the word of God, the living word of God, then when you open the book, it is as though God is actually speaking to you, which is what it is, Would that not be the most amazing thing ever? Well, it's true. And it is the most amazing thing ever. If we're certain of it, we'll live by it and speak it with humility to others. And frankly, it won't stay on our shelves, gathering dust. It will become, like Moses states, our very life. The psalmist cries out, open my eyes to behold wonderful things out of your law, and let that be your cry as well. Open this book often, listen to it in the car during your exercise routine, meditate on it, memorize it uh, for it's certain and trustworthy, and it will radically change your life as your heart and mind are transformed and renewed by it. You, You wonder why one of the biggest battles that you experience is to actually open up the Bible and read it every day? Could it be, could it be that the world, the flesh, and the devil are three main enemies know that if one immerses themselves in this book specifically, that only true life comes from it, only contentment comes from it, only comfort comes from it, and rest and joy and peace and hope follow? That's why Paul says a little later in the Bible, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so listen, who might you begin regularly meeting with to read the Bible? Don't have to do a 12-week discipleship plan to actually be discipling someone or be discipled yourself. Open up the Bible with somebody. Who's it going to be this week? You don't have to have all your theological ducks in a row. Matter of fact, it's best if you come to the Bible with humility and come to the Bible with your spouse. Come to the Bible with your child. Or a friend, or perhaps any of those options. How about a friend who's not yet certain that Jesus is real, or that the Bible is as true as you know it to be? Jesus calls us to testify of that which we've seen, that which we've heard, both things that are absolutely certain and trustworthy. But still, even though those two things are true, and I think like get lots of nods of heads, it's true, still we fret, and we worry, and we doubt, and we don't know, what to, we don't know how, to, how to live feel powerless. And Jesus knows this too. And so he tells us one more thing we can be sure of. And that is that you can be certain of the promise of the Father. The real, living, risen Jesus promises, verse 49, that he is going to send the promise of the, the, promise of the Father on the disciples, and they're supposed to stay in the city in Jerusalem until they're clothed with power from on high. The promise of the Father power from on high and so remember just a few hours ago these disciples very confused they were emotionally shot they were physically just drained spiritually just what in the world a couple of them had even dejected had left dejected left jerusalem dejected in particular and headed to emmaus and jesus caught up to them and they turned around and went back now they've seen Jesus, they've touched his body, their minds have been opened to understand uh, the biblical plan of God to redeem a people for himself to dwell with forever, and they've been set on fire, spiritually speaking. Jesus had called them to testify of what they'd seen and heard, that much is certain, but, but this certainty of, the, of testifying this, these things that they've been, surely things that they've seen and heard and touched and tasted and all of that is not all that's needed for the mission knowing these things, being certain of these things, is certainly things that empower a disciple to testify and to live a disciple's life, but it's not enough. Something else is absolutely vital. They are in desperate need of something Jesus calls the promise of the Father, power from on high. And if those disciples needed that, oh, how we need that 2,000 years later. Now, Jesus doesn't go into detail here what the promise of the Father is, but those who are reading this account, the original guys, they know precisely what he was talking about. But even these men, their eyes, and minds were open to understand the things from God's Word, and so they knew their Bibles. And they knew precisely what Jesus was talking about here. Old Testament prophecies in particular speaking of the outpouring of the Spirit of God on all people, all believers. Passages like this, Isaiah 44. I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They would have known that. Ezekiel 39, they would know this. I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord. Or or Joel chapter 2 which Peter points to in Acts chapter 2, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And they knew full well from their very experience, the ones who were reading Luke for the first time, they knew what, they were, what he was talking about. And you and I know from... Reading Luke's second volume, the book of Acts, we know what he's talking about. The promise of the Father, the power from on high, is clearly, hands down, easily spoken. Acts chapter 2, in particular, the promise of the Father is the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. And if you want to know more about that, want to hear more about that, we're not going to go into it here very much at all this morning, but I do want you to look at the sermon follow-up this afternoon and listen Listen to the sermons that we've preached in the past about this to go into far greater detail, especially the Acts chapter 1 sermons on foundations for mission. Listen to those and consider this power that the Lord has promised His people the book of Acts narrates the Holy Spirit being poured out on the disciples, not just in Acts 2, but over and over again so that they can begin to fulfill what Jesus has commanded them to do, namely to testify of what they've seen and heard and been taught of and been made certain of. So they know the Word now. They're certain of the Word. They know that Jesus is alive, hands down. They see Him before they touch Him. They're, they're more certain than we'll ever be, really, as far as, like, uh, highly, you know, tactilely. At so we're like, they know and these guys that know and they see and they, they knew Jesus was dead and now he's risen again, these guys, these guys need, and the women, they need the Holy Spirit. They need empowerment of the Spirit and so do we. The promise of the Father. You think about the same Holy Spirit was the one that overshadowed Mary in Luke chapter 1. The same Holy Spirit who caused John the Baptist to jump in, in, in uh, his, his mother's womb when Jesus shows up in his mother's womb as well. It's the same Spirit that empowered Jesus himself that will both dwell with these disciples and empower them to fulfill what Jesus has called them to. This is the promise of the Father. Power from on high. Receiving power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power for what? 100% certainty, no matter what church background you have, whether the most Pentecostal or the most non-Pentecostal, 100% certain that Luke records the words of Jesus this way in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will be empowered to testify. And do we not need power to testify? Oh, we shrink back all the time. We need the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to empower us, to fill us. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, Luke records this eyewitness account, very simply, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit. They were all filled. This was the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and immediately thereafter, you read the rest of Acts chapter 2, and the first thing that happens is they're out telling everybody about the amazing things Jesus has done. And then Peter preaches that first sermon where thousands come to faith. That is the power of the Spirit. And oh, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. There's absolute certainty that Jesus promised to send the promise of the Father, power from on high, the Holy Spirit to fill His people, strengthen His people, comfort His people, empower His people, to testify of the good news of great certainty and ever-broadening horizons. He did on that day. And he does today. We must ask. We must pursue. Martin Lloyd Jones says this to his church family and to us today. Do you know anything about this spiritual power? This spiritual realm? Is not this the thing that the church has lost? You know when the Spirit of God comes upon even the most ordinary man, he can make a giant out of him, and can shake a meeting and pass on an inspiration to others and transform them. That's God's way. That's the Christian church. That's New Testament Christianity. And this is a promise that's something we can be absolutely certain of. It's one reason why Paul writes to the Ephesian church, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Know what the will of the Lord is. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a promise, friends. You can be certain of it. You feel weak in your testifying of the gospel of Jesus with friends and neighbors and Co-workers, they'll be certain of the promise of the Father, the power from on high that's promised to you. And, and I, as we testify, of the good news of great certainty. These things that are absolutely true. Jesus is who he says he is. God's word is absolutely trustworthy, and I have the Holy Spirit, and I can, can, can get more of him. I can hardly say a sentence, but I can get more of the Holy Spirit. I can have more of him, more and more and more of him. Why? Not just to, not just to have more of the Holy Spirit, but for the sake of gospel mission, particularly. Being filled again and again and again is the will of the Lord. Not, not that we would just exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, although that is certainly like enormously wonderful. Not that we would just gain spiritual gifts for the upbuilding of the local church, although that is like just amazingly wonderful. But that we would be bold, and joyful and certain witnesses of the good news of Jesus Christ for the joy of all peoples. And so listen, the main point that I want us to think about this week and to pray for is this, the good news of Jesus Christ will be enjoyed, declared, and displayed in your life for the joy of all peoples as your foundations go deep into the Word and the Spirit. When we're uncertain of things it's just certainly hard to enjoy them or talk about them with confidence or live a life that displays that confidence but Jesus is so gracious as he comes to us in our weakness reveals himself to us opens our minds to understand and promises us power from on high telling us with gracious living fire in his eyes that we can be sure absolutely certain that he is alive that his word is true and that the spirit of power is ours like the trifecta of certainty. That we would enjoy, declare, and display the good news of Jesus Christ for the joy of all peoples, both here and internationally. Say all that and ask the Lord to bless it. Strengthen this church. Application questions are up on the screen and they'll be up there for a little bit and they'll be up there after Um, after the benediction also so you can write them down now or later Uh, they'll also be in the sermon follow up